Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter number 61. I'm going to bring a message this morning that has been on my heart and uh, all week long, just one particular phrase out of these verses. I've never heard anybody preach on this particular statement and fact and not having ever read a sermon on it I, but some way or another in my reading this week this one particular phrase that we'll get to in a moment just reached out and grabbed me by the throat and won't let go so uh, I figured out a long time ago what to do with that there's a reason why God impresses certain things upon our heart Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, it should because it was from these verses that Jesus preached the message that kicked off his earthly ministry in Luke chapter number 4 and verse 18 and 19. In fact, I preached a message from that uh, just a few months ago. The title of the message, I believe, was the Messiah's Mission Statement. And there he declared what his intent was in coming into the world and uh, that took place in Nazareth there in the synagogue where he set forth himself as the Savior and made it clear that he came to deliver man from the damage that sin has done. And this is the text that he selected for that occasion. He came to deliver man from the damage that sin has done. And, and I surely don't need to tell you that sin has done awful things. You, you see it everywhere, the horrible things that has happened to man as a result of sin. It invades. I mean, you can't keep it away. It invades every uh, part of your being in, in every area of your life. It inhabits. It's just not something that is around you. It's something that gets in you. It intoxicates. In other words, it has a way of fascinating you before it assassinates you. It impoverishes. It inflicts. It injures. It imprisons. It in, inhabits. It, it is a, a constant irritant to mankind. We often think about what a wonderful world it would be, you know, if it wasn't for sin. And it would. It would be a wonderful world. But even if you and I never sinned again, the effects of that original sin is still here with us. And so we have to live in a world that has been adversely affected by sin. Jesus, our Jubilee, came to set us free. 
in Isaiah chapter number 40, we find out that he came to provide comfort for those who mourn because sin has caused mourning. And some of you know that very well, right? As some of you that are mourning at this very moment, it might be because of your own sin. You know, there's nothing that breaks the heart of a Christian anymore than knowing that he has sinned against God. The most miserable people on earth are not, it's not the unsaved people sitting on a bar stool somewhere or shooting up dope in their veins. They're not the most miserable people. The most miserable people are God's people who have knowingly sinned against God and the Holy Spirit begins to torment them as it were, convicting them of their sinfulness. So your mourning might be due to your own personal sin, but it might be due to some sin of others that has uh, been committed against you. you. You know, let's not kid ourselves. There are times when other people sin and it has a horrible effect upon us. And sometimes that happens for many years. There are some of you right now dealing with issues and problems in your life that happened as a result of somebody else's sin years ago. And, and it's still, every time you think about it, it brings sorrow to your heart and you are affected by that. But it might be just because of sin in general. As I said, uh, it might not be a particular sin that you've committed. It might not be something that somebody else did that affected you, but just the results of sin. We think about Adam and Eve and they're in that perfect environment and everything was ideal. I, I mean, you, you know, pe people dream about having the perfect uh, husband or the perfect wife, well, that's the way it was. Everything was absolutely perfect. All of their surroundings, the environment was ideal. So uh, all of a sudden, here they are in this perfect environment, and yet in an act of rebellion against God, sin entered into this world. And that put that put thorns on the roses. It put fury in the beast. It put poison in the serpent. It affected everything because there was a curse placed upon this earth. And that's the world that you and I live in. Now, I don't know exactly how you feel this morning. Uh, I don't know what you're going through. In fact, feelings can be really difficult to describe. There might be somebody here this morning and you just feel broken. I mean, you don't have else to say it. You just feel broken. It feels like your life has been smashed to the smithereens. It might be that you feel burdened, that there is a heavy load that so weights you down that you feel sometimes that you can't take another step. It might be that, well, to put it bluntly, it might be you just feel bored. Just maybe burned out might be a better term. You and you're just kind of at the end of your rope, and it's not that anything bad has really happened to you. It's not that you're necessarily doing anything, you know, terrible or uh, sinful, but but you're just bored and burned out with life, and it's lost its zest and its zeal. Well, the good news is the Bible says that the Lord came to give you beauty for ashes. And here's our text this morning, the garment of praise for the Spirit of heaviness. And it's that last phrase that I want you to think about today. That's the title of my message, The Spirit of Heaviness. Now, I'm not talking about a weight loss program. And I'm not talking about a weight lifting exercise. 
And I'm not talking about the normal grief that comes in a crisis, because that's to be expected. You, you often heard me say that, that we all act out of character sometimes. There are times in our life that things will happen to us that will knock us off balance. Our spiritual equilibrium will be upset momentarily. I mean, even Jesus wept. And so there are going to be times that you and I are going to be grieved. And, 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 and the bad thing about it is that a lot of times there are those, you know, that, uh, that would accuse us of having a, a bad attitude whenever we don't. You know, it might appear that way to other people, you know, but that's not necessarily the case. You look at someone and you see them and they maybe they just seem like they're just not really with it. It seems like they don't really care. Maybe they feel terrible. Did you ever think about that? Maybe they feel awful and you have no idea what a struggle that they are going through. It's difficult for them, but... They do not allow that, of course, to dictate the, the manner in which they live. Uh, it, sure, it shows on your face. If you're at a funeral, obviously there are going to be tears in your eyes. There's going to be, uh, you know, a heartbreak as a result of the loss that you've incurred. But this morning, we're talking about the spirit of heaviness. And let me tell you, that's something we don't need. That's something that we need to be rid of. That's something that Jesus came to, to enable us to get rid of. Now, this is a figure of speech, obviously. I think everybody has figured that out whenever he's describing here what God is going to do initially for and through the children of Israel. Remember, this is the prophecy at this point. And he's talking basically about what God is going to do with Israel. And he's using this figure of speech here to convey spiritual truth. And if you carefully consider the context, you see that he's talking about and he is comparing a funeral to a wedding celebration. At a funeral, of course, in those days, the Jews put ashes on their head. They beat their breast and they mourned. That's what was to be expected at a funeral. Naturally, at a wedding, they wore beautiful garments, bridal wreaths, and things of that nature. Nobody would ever mistake a funeral for a wedding because what they wore reflected their mood. Now, here's the point. Christianity is a feast. It's not a funeral. It's a banquet. It's not a burial. And rather than a spirit of heaviness... We are to be adorned in a garment of praise. But what is a spirit of heaviness? What in the world is that all about? Well, that word heaviness is translated in another place in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's translated dim in reference to Eli's failing eyesight. His eyes grew dim. They were failing and, and, and it's a word that literally means failing or it means weakness, desperation, discouragement, despair, depression. All of those words convey some, some aspect of what it means to have a spirit of heaviness. And I think we'd all agree that's a horrible way to live, isn't it? I mean, if there are those of you that here that have ever been 
Trouble by depression, for example, that's a bigger problem for some people than it is for other people. There's some people, you know, you, you heard me talk about, you know, our uh, talk the other day about our pet sin, uh, about our uh, our the, the sin that so easily besets us. And, you know, there's some areas of life other people are never troubled with a particular sin or problem, but for other people it is a major issue, and that's the way it is with depression and a lot of other things. And, and I can tell you there are a lot of people that that are fighting through this uh, in their life. It might be that they had incurred some disappointment. That disappointment led to discouragement. The discouragement led to depression. The depression leads to despair. That feeling, I don't even know what to do. You know, I'm down and I can't get up. I, just, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And uh, that's a horrible way for anybody to live. And, and so the Lord says, I come to remove that and to give you a garment of praise. And let me tell you, this is a serious matter whenever you think about how that that you are affected in in, in the many ways in the bible even tells us in proverbs in several places it speaks about how our emotions affect our physical well-being you know a broken heart can make you sick it ultimately can kill you and so forth and so it can be devastating our mental state our emotional well-being has an effect on us physically emotionally socially spiritually and in every other way it's a dreadful condition a horrible way to live but it's dangerous i say it's dangerous for one thing it robs you of your joy and the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? Amen. And so if Satan can strip us of our joy, you know, he takes away our strength as a result of that. That puts us in a dangerous place. It will ruin your relationships. It will result in physical problems. It will render you powerless. Now, here's something. Notice this spirit of heaviness. You can apply that to a person. There are people that are living with a spirit of heaviness. That is, they're discouraged, they're disappointed, they're in despair, they're depressed. Describe it however you want. The Bible definition is right here, the spirit of heaviness. It is a weakness. It is a faintness. It's just like, well, I'm just at the end of my rope, the bottom of the barrel, and I can't go on. That can happen to a person. It can also happen to a couple. Just a spirit of heaviness in their life. And it's not just the one that's affected. You know, a lot of times in a marriage, there'll be one that's able to keep a stiff upper lip and, you know, keep going in a song in their heart. And, and we all, we've all seen marriages like that. You know, you, you've got one that's all the time crying the blues and the other one is the picker up or the one that's always encouraging. But, but sometimes it's descriptive of both. And boy, let me tell you, then you're going to have a problem. Sometimes it's a family. I've known families like that. The whole family, the mood of the mom and the dad just took over the kids and the whole family has this, this somber, discouraged, 
you know, feeling of despair and this doom and this gloom. And, 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 and that, that's the way they come across. I mean, you can go out on a picnic and you just figure, you know, they're going to be the ones that's going to spoil the picnic. I mean, they, they're just, they're, they're just never excited about anything. It, it happens to a family. It can happen to a church, by the way. I preached in some of those churches. Boy, I'm telling you what, I can remember preaching in some churches that, that had pastors that were among the most highly respected of our independent, unaffiliated Baptist churches. And whenever I got the invitation, I thought, man, this is going to be great. I can't wait to get over there. This guy, you know, he is a whiz-bang preacher. I love to hear him preach. I can only imagine what kind of church he's got. And he's invited me to come for a revival meeting, and I go. And it takes about it takes about ten minutes of that first service to realize, man, this place is dead as a hammer. I mean, and and so you think, well, it must just just must be me. <laughs> and so you come back the next night, and you're all fired up, you know, and. Boy, you're, I mean, you're going to break through this time. No, you, let me tell you, there's some churches you never break through because there, there's a spirit of heaviness on that church. Anybody ever been in a place like that? Just a spirit of heaviness, doom and gloom all of the time. It can happen to a nation. Remember, this is being written to a nation, the nation of Israel. I'll never forget whenever I went to... Um, went to Germany to preach over there, and, and I've told the story before. I told the missionary, I said, I, you know, I, I tell you, this is going to seem kind of strange, but I, I want you to let me out downtown. I knew where his office was, and, and you call the, the, the streetcar Strasbourg or something like that. It, it's a streetcar. Uh, and and I, so I, you tell me where to get off and take me down to what we would call the public square, and just drop me off. I just want to know the experience of being in a different culture among people. You know, I don't know their language. Most of them probably don't know mine. And I'm just going to wander around down here. And he says, okay. So he dropped me off, showed me what bus to get on whenever I got ready to come back. And the first thing that I did when I come back, he said, well, what did you think? And I said, i got to ask you a question. I said, uh, what is it with these people? Nobody is smiling. It's all doom and gloom. I've never seen such a... Nobody laughing, nobody... I said, even the mannequins in the department stores down there, they all got the same look on their face. I'd never seen anything. He said, well, you've got to... Wait a minute. You've got to understand where you are and what these people went through. Most of these cities here were bombed out, and in some cases there was almost nothing left standing, and these people still to this day live with that thought of impending doom as a result of a war that might happen, and it has affected them. See, it can happen to a nation. I I think sometimes about our nation, and I'm not going to stay here long because I really get sidetracked, but whenever I think about our nation and the condition that we're in, oh, look, wait, I know we've got our stadiums full of people out there that are cheering for their favorite team. I, yeah, I understand that. And, and you can go to a rock concert, and boy, it seems like everybody in America is really happy. And, and so I realize that there are ways in which we give the impression that, man, we love it here, we're, everything's just wonderful, you know, I couldn't be happier. 
But when you get right down to the bare bones facts, there is a spirit of heaviness, I believe, even upon our nation. We've got a division that is, is maybe wider than it's ever been since the Civil War in our country today. And that spirit of heaviness that robs us of our blessings. So I'm saying all that to say this. Look, this is something that can happen to anyone or any corporate entity. It doesn't make any difference. Nobody is exempt from the possibility of this. By the way, it can even happen to some of God's greatest servants. Men like Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I never was so shocked in all of my life whenever I read the message by Spurgeon in regards to his problem. It was, it was called fits of depression. I, I, I never dreamed he had gone through anything like that. Here was a man, I'm talking about a man that was so dedicated and so involved in the work of the Lord and so respected around the world by people, you would think, man, this guy must be walking on air. He surely got it all together. He surely didn't have any problem. But here's a man that throughout his ministry fought depression. It was something constantly nagging at him to the extent that he had to take uh, several sabbaticals. I mean, there were times he'd be gone two or three months of the year on the sabbatical simply because he had to go and get himself you know you know revived as it were because he fought these fits of depression as he caused them now we could talk for hours about all of the examples concerning this but obviously according to the bible and according to what we see in the world today this matter This matter of a spirit of holiness is a clear and a present danger. And I want you to know that God desires and God demands something better than that. God says, I want to deck you out in a spirit, notice, in a garment of praise. I believe if we really understood the importance of praise, the value of praise... That's what we would want for ourselves. Whenever I sat down this week and the more I thought about this message, I knew when I got to this point that I was going to have a really difficult time in going on without staying right here and camping out on this matter. And I'm struggling right now because the temptation is to spend about the next 15 or 20 minutes talking about the importance and the value of praise. Let me tell you, let me sum it all up. God inhabits the praise of His people. If you want God to be here in your midst, we better be praising the Lord. When we stop, when we stop, we're going to lose His presence as it were. If we expect His blessings, there's going to have to be an atmosphere of praise among God's people. I don't, I don't know how to emphasize to you the great importance of praise. It'll make you happier, for one thing. The most miserable people on earth are those that, you know, that just for whatever reason, they just refuse to really praise God as they should. Not only will it make you happier, but let me tell you, it will make you more pleasant to those that are around you. Amen? 
Don't you just love to be around? And I'm not talking about any of this fake stuff. I, I'm just like you. I can't stomach that either. As I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being around somebody that you can, you can just tell. Man, these people are so grateful to the Lord, so thankful for the Lord, and they're continually praising the Lord, even when they've got problems and difficulties and they're hurting or in pain and all of this stuff, and yet they, they always find some positive twist to the bad things that happen to them. And, and you just love being around people like that of even greater importance is the fact that God is glorified as a result of it. Yes, it's not just about making you happier. It's not just about making you more popular among people. It's about God being glorified. By the way, that's the purpose for which we exist. Notice the very last part of our text, verse number 3, the very last part. And we'll start with the word that. The Lord says, I want to take away the spirit of heaviness. I want to give you a garment of praise. Notice that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. There it is. That's the purpose of all of it. And I'm sure right now, if we stop and I took a survey, every person here would agree with what I've said. There's nobody here would accuse me of being unscriptural, unfair, or anything like it. We'd all agree. And yet at the same time, I, I, I've just got a, an idea that there are some of you that are here that are troubled by a spirit of heaviness. And you know it shouldn't be that way. But you've just got this feeling that it's impossible to get rid of it. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I've tried before. Man, I know the preacher is right, and I, I don't want it to be this way. It shouldn't be that way, but but I, I just don't think there's any hope. I, it's like a ball and chain. I, I feel doomed. I, I feel like, you know, I will never laugh again. I feel like I'll never be able to get this behind me. And I promise you folks this morning that you can get the victory over this. And I say that because God has provided exactly what we need. Exactly. And if we receive it by faith, we have God's promise that He'll give us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. I mean, isn't that what the message in Luke chapter number 4 was all about when the Lord came? And here He is initiating His public ministry. And when he does, he tells us exactly what he came to do. You don't need to turn there unless you want to, but I want you to notice how his ministry is pictured in those two verses. First of all, he presents himself as a preacher, a preacher who enlightens. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He came to deliver the good news to enlighten those that felt that they had no hope. And then he comes as a physician who heals. He says to heal the brokenhearted, and then he goes on, the recovering of sight to the blind. I'm so glad Jesus didn't come just to give us a bunch of information. We need more than information. We need healing because we are sin sick. And so he says, I have come to heal 
and to recover sight to the blind. Then he says he comes as a liberator, one who delivers, to preach deliverance to the captive, set at liberty them that, that are bruised. He's a liberator. He comes to set us free. Why in the world would anyone want to stay in prison when they, when they could be set free? Uh, last week we uh, preached about this matter of being a, a, a ca- taken captive of the devil to his will and the fact that God sets us free. But picture somebody in prison. Maybe they're sentenced to a, a life sentence, I don't know, but let's say they've been in there 10, 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden there is a decision made by the court to let this person go. And so they send the chaplain in or the guard in or the warden in or whoever it is and he comes to the prison cell and he says, I've got some really good news for you. It's been determined that we're going to set you free. Can you imagine somebody saying, man, I, this, is, this has become my home. I don't want to leave here. That's my bunk over there. That's, that's my, somebody else will get it if I leave. Now, look those pictures on the wall there. That, that, that all belongs to me now. Nobody in their right mind would want to stay in that prison cell whenever they were allowed to go free. Jesus says, I come to set the captive free. He is our liberator. But He doesn't stop there. He also presents himself as a herald. Now, the herald is the fellow, you know, that stood on the wall. You may be with the trumpet and blow the trumpet and he have this announcement that he was going to make to the city and what have you. Notice, as a herald, he ensures. He says, notice, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Let me tell you, whenever the Lord makes a declaration, it is as good as done because he can't lie and he will not fail. So, to sum it up, whatever your need is, He is what you need. I mean, He can turn your heaviness into happiness, your mourning into merriment, your despair into dancing. Your burden can become a blessing. Maybe you think, well, preacher, you know, I've tried and I just can't get anywhere. I'm tired, I'm weary, I I feel like I, I can't go on any longer. Maybe you want things to change, but you feel that it's not possible. Look, I can't change your circumstances. Billy Graham can't change your circumstances. No man on this earth can change your circumstances. There are a lot of things we can't change, a lot of things that we can't control, things that we have to learn to live with. But I can assure you that the Lord can change you. And not only can He change you, He can use all of this bad stuff that is against you, He can use it for you because He'll bring some good out of the bad. You know, whenever we become aware of God's promises, and whenever we know that we know that we know that we're doing the will of God, all of a sudden we have this blessed assurance that God's going to use the bad for some good. God doesn't make any mistakes. And regardless of how painful, how difficult it is for me to go through this, I know I'm doing my best to do the will of God, and I know that God has some good in purpose. 
And, and so many times we get hung up on wanting to know why. What's the reason? You don't need to know the reason. You just need to know there is a reason. God has a reason for subjecting you to that. Now, here's the point. God can use what you're going through, those difficulties that you think you can never overcome, God can use that as a testimony to others to gain their attention and to give them hope. Boy, let me tell you, it's a it's a wonderful thing when somebody that is in need and, and I'm talking about in spiritual need. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They know their life is messed up, and 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 all all of a sudden they remember this guy they worked with, or maybe maybe it was this. Maybe in the case of a woman, it's some some girl that she used to go to school with. Somebody that was a Christian, and and they began to remember the, their attitude and the spirit about them, and the the hope and the joy and the peace that they reflected. And all of a sudden, they begin to think, maybe that's what I need. I'm telling you, how we respond to these things in our life makes a big difference, because others are watching us. Now I want you to notice what our attitude ought to be. Look in verse number 10. I will greatly, you ought to underline that. He didn't just say, I will rejoice. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So many times you've heard me say that God's purpose for Israel was to make them a light unto the Gentiles. God even expressed it as though that Israel was like a queen that had been decked out in garments that were so impressive that others would sit up and take notice. And it was a reflection not on the riches of the queen, but the king. And, and the Lord is saying, I'm going to make Israel like my queen. I'm going to set her out there among the nations. I'm going to let them look at her. Because in looking at her, they'll be drawn to me. And go back to what he said. The reason that he's going to give a garment of praise instead of a spirit of holiness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planning of the Lord. In other words, Israel, remember, at this time, this is all prophecy. And he says here that, that they will produce righteousness instead of bad fruit. And that will give evidence, notice, that he might be glorified. That others will look at them and glorify God as a result of it. And Jesus Christ comes along over 700 years later, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, and he presented himself in these ways. Let me tell you, it's for the same purpose. God wants to remove that spirit of heaviness off of your life. God wants to give you a garment of praise. Amen? 
And the reason He does it is not just to make you happy. He wants you to be happy, but that's not the reason. The reason He does that is so that the Father will be glorified. Let me tell you, when you lose your song, you've lost your testimony, and you are distracted from your purpose. That happened to Israel. That's another sermon. They hung their harps on the willows. They lost their song. They've given up. Just like some Baptist I know. Everything is doom and gloom. They've just given up. The whole world is so terrible, so awful. They act like God's dead or mighty sick or doesn't care. And the Lord's saying to you, I want you to leave here with a garment of praise upon your shoulders. I want you to leave here with such a spirit, such an attitude that when others see you, they'll glorify me. Amen? You don't have to leave here with your lower lip dragging the ground and acting like the world has come to an end. God's still on the throne. And regardless of what we're going through, it's possible to have joy unspeakable and full of glory and a peace that passeth all understanding. That's possible. How about it? You're going to stay in that prison cell like that guy? Oh, this is my bunk and this is my pillow and these are my pictures. I, I'm, I'm not leaving here. No, you're smarter than that. Get up and throw off that old spirit of heaviness this morning. Put on your garment of praise and leave here shouting victory. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank You for lifting that spirit of heaviness. And Lord, we know that Satan's going to come back again and again and again. And he's going to try to discourage us and to drag us down, to make us halt and to make us faint and do his very best to stop us from reaching our goal of glorifying our Father. And Lord, we're all weak and helpless without you. We feel like little children in a nursery and our weak little arms just just can't get the door open and the job done. And Lord, we just fall before you this morning praying that you'll restore those, restore those years that the locust has eaten. Give us, Heavenly Father, that spirit of praise for the heaviness of our heart, the beautiful ashes. May we leave here today thinking about your greatness and your goodness. And may we share that news with others, not only verbally, but visually by the way that we live. For we ask it in Jesus' name. While we sing.